right. You know what that means. It is time for what local politicians call some good old fake news from the Bradenton <laughs> Times, the liberal rag. Uh, we are here on a Friday. Uh, again, I can always remind people that this drops on Friday afternoon. And if you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can get podcasts, uh, you can get it early. Um, and if you just want to listen to it in our Sunday edition, that's good as well. But uh, a reminder that if you get it and download it on one of the other apps, the other thing that will allow you to do that our browser doesn't is so you can pause it uh, and then, you know, pick it back up later different day or whatever in the same spot. So it does have additional functionality. Um, but however you get it, we're just glad that you're here listening with us. I am joined by Don Kitterman today, and we had another wild week in Manatee County politics. Did we not? <laughs> I mean, I guess if we want to call it wild. I, I guess it's just normal now. But the work session for sure hurt my brain. I mean, it was mm -hmm. really, really difficult to listen to. It hurt my brain. And, you know, since there seems to be a lot of emphasis on things that offend people that it's I, so confused. On one hand, we're told people who get offended are snowflakes. And then on the other hand, we're told other people, if they're offended by things, then we should get those things out of the community so they aren't offended anymore. But my point being, that meeting offended me. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, you know, look, we have, so for those of you who didn't tune in and didn't hurt your brain doing so. We'll recap a little bit. Uh, there was a good portion directed to, a, I guess, in response to an update from the library system. So librarians updated the county commission on the state of the libraries, and that led to where we all knew it was going to go, which was what books should we ban and what kind of liberal indoctrination are we doing this week? I, I disagree. I don't think it was an update. I think it was an inquisition. I think that Ooh, they, it was supposed to be an update, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, uh, but yes, it was an Inquisition and it was designed to be theater. And this is the frustrating part is that so Sunday's column, I talk all about how, hey, everybody, um, I know that it really sucks to drive through Manatee County right now. We were just talking that before we went on air, how impossible it is to go anywhere. It is so hard to cross the bridge back and forth to Palmetto any time of day. It used to be, well, you got to stay away anytime from school through the beginning of the work day and then around noon it gets dicey again and then by two o'clock school's getting out so if you could kind of thread the needle in between there you'll be all right not anymore it's just a constant mess on both bridges trying to get from central uh the urban core over to west Bradenton, not to go to the beach mind you just to try to get somewhere on Manatee avenue or on cortez is another utter nightmare and then trying to get over to the interstate from anywhere in the west part of the county <laughs> is nothing short of an impossibility. I, I saw a meme the other day that was floating around on Facebook, and it was a picture of uh, cars on some road in Manatee County, and it said, fact, it takes an hour to get from Bradenton to get to Bradenton. Right? <laughs> it is awful. And it's, it's we're looking at, and, and last Sunday's column is about, hey, um, these thousands of houses we're letting Carlos Baruf put east of the FDAB that doesn't even comply with this nonsensical policy you created about contiguous uh, land and that you that was, oh, this is only going to be for Lakewood Ranch. It's very specific. Um, well, first of all, congratulations, Lakewood Ranch. You built the whole thing out. Great. Why do we have to make Lakewood Ranch bigger than designed? And what we keep getting told, I, and I, I know I pick on Jason Bearden because he's not very... He's not very smart, and that comes out every time he opens his mouth. But 
the whole part in that meeting where he talks about, hey guys, I uh, I did some research and it turns out that, you know, back when the FDAB was created, we were only growing by 5,000, you know, houses uh, a year. And now all of a sudden it's like double that. So like, obviously that's not realistic. And it's, it's this mindset. And then George Cruz tries to like intellectualize it to be like, yeah, yeah, you know, the growth patterns and we can't. This mindset that we somehow are just captive to, well, look, people want to move to Manatee County and that's great. And, you know, we got to build a house for every single one of them. Says who? The rest of the country doesn't do this. The rest of the country controls and regulates growth in a way that is sensible and that plans for the future and puts infrastructure down first to accommodate things. Uh, much of the rest of the country does, I, I should say. They don't look at it as, well, we just got this obligation. If anybody wants to come, we got to build them a house. And it doesn't matter if we have room. doesn't matter if we have roads. doesn't matter if the infrastructure. You know, there was a great, I forget the gentleman's name, but there's been this guy that uh, has been coming a lot to the public meetings and giving public comment. And he has a background in some kind of engineering. And, you know, he's bringing up points with, listen, it's not about, he goes, first of all, you're talking about contiguous and you're saying that this other development, he goes, but that's not even approved yet. Yes, it's gonna get approved, we all know that, but go out there now, it's just a field. There's no pipes going through there. So you're approving another one that's not contiguous to where we have one now. It will be ultimately, but that's not what you guys sold us. So essentially, it is the exact kind of leapfrog development that they promised us couldn't happen under this. And they have their own staff saying, yes, they, they can't satisfy that new policy. You know, that, that's an issue, but we still recommend it. So when people were like, you know, and then we go back to, oh, it's only a transmittal, just like that policy was only a transmittal at first. And when people go back to that and say, yeah, but this is what we're worried about. Oh, you don't have to worry about, no, that's exactly what you have to worry about. What you have to worry about it is wherever Carlos Bruff and Pat Neal want to build houses, we're going to let them build houses there. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if we have the capacity. It doesn't matter if we have the infrastructure. It doesn't matter. It's whatever they want. They're going to direct the growth in this county. They are going to decide how much impact uh, is okay to have on your quality of life and how much isn't. And we're just here to rubber stamp it. And it's really, really disgusting to see it happen in, in uh, real time like that. And to see them just doing stuff they promised was not going to happen just, you know, months ago. And then you see the theatrics afterwards. So that goes through in a big, dense land use meeting that had all kinds of other stuff on one meeting. I think it was scheduled for a half day. And... Then, before that could even get processed and absorbed, we couldn't even report the whole thing. We had some of it in Friday, some of it in Sunday, some of it in Wednesday. Um, and then we get right back to the theatrics. Then we got to go right back to culture war because we got to keep the people off balance all the time. You know, in contrast, what I couldn't help but notice is, so for anybody who did watch the work session, the library portion of the show, um, you know, there was a lot of rehashing over a library display, which was removed. Um, and it was removed because it was brought to the attention. And, and when I say library display, it was a display that was in the library. It wasn't built or installed by the library. It was, space was accommodated for a group from the community who did this. So it was not a display that taxpayer dollars built, okay? Anyways, this came up in the work session uh, because there is still outrage. This display was taken down, to my understanding, end of October sometime, so four months ago. But yet there was a lot of outrage again in this inquisition of, of librarians 
about who, what, when, where, and, and I'm mad about it. I'm really mad about it, this display. And so I, as I looked into it, I come to find out that a, the, the movement to have this display removed and bring the attention of this display or bring this display to the attention of the commissioners came from a relatively small group of activists. Uh, I believe they call themselves Manatee Moms for Liberty Yes. Something like this. Um, my understanding is the group is somewhere around 50 active participants, maybe less. I don't know how many emailed, but it appears as though, you know, the, whoever heads that group here in town was the main one who organized this effort to get rid of this display. My point being, there is an interesting conflict to see between what you just described at the land use meeting and all of these citizens who, who aren't just sending emails and aren't just spouting off online and aren't demanding action based on their opinions alone, but they are providing, look here, this is where in the comp plan, this does not comply. Listen to what your staff just told you. Listen to how this is going to impact us person after person after person after person begging, and we've seen it not just in that land use meeting, we've seen it in, in other mm -hmm. instances, to then only at the end, you get a, well, we really appreciate you guys coming here and talking to us, but it's just a transmittal or whatever. Right. But in this other scenario, there is no public discussion. No. And there is no bringing forth policy. There, there, there is right. no... There, I just don't like it. There is no bringing it to the public to get a wider view. It's Holy cow, this group who politically, I guess, is our ally and they're in the community and they're probably going to vote for us later on, 50 people, whatever, they're super freaked out about this, so on it. We got to get the administrator, somebody about to fire a librarian, somebody get them in here, we're going to have an acquisition, that display's got to go. I would be willing to bet that none of the commissioners, well, okay, correction, None of the commissioners who were in support of having that display removed spent any actual time, say, reaching out to the organization who put it there and asking why and questioning the things that were of concern to them and asking for an explanation, uh, looking up the titles of the books that they saw in there to understand what those books were actually about or what kind of reviews they had. It, yet, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the truth might be, or educating ourselves or, or trying to make an informed decision as a commissioner, what matters is keeping the right people happy at the right freaking time, period. Everybody else, sorry about your luck. And that's really frustrating to me to watch. And like I said, I, that, that work session, I think, we've seen a lot of, I've sat through a lot of meetings that are, I, I guess, painful <laughs> to sit through. That meeting I think I was the most just disappointed and kind of feeling hopeless at the end of that meeting because it seemed clear to me that there are a portion of commissioners who have came in with their mind made up about everything. And that includes they don't want to hear from professionals. They don't they think that the woman who leads the Manatee Moms for Liberty or whatever, is as equally knowledgeable and qualified on 
matters of literacy as a librarian with a PhD. Right. It's unbelievable. It, I'm just like, what is happening? And you know, I've got to give a, I've got to give a, a an attaboy to Lee Washington on that issue. Uh, I was extremely impressed with the way when they did the attack on the American Library Association, I believe it is mm -hmm. the top credentialing body in that, that organization that is, is important to that field. Uh, he explained just how narrow-minded that, mm -hmm. that, that was. And the idea of that display, just saying, you know, this is not emblematic of anything. This is one issue that somebody had and was addressed. Uh, and then James Satcher tried to like continuously take him to task of like, no, I want to, I want to get on the record here. Are we, are we in agreement that this is absolutely something that shouldn't happen? Going off in this nonsensical rant about Reagan. Uh, yes. <laughs> do you know why that no, came up? I, I do. Okay. I, I saw it in display. Uh -huh. and, uh, I don't, I, it was, don't, a, it was, I, I don't imagine Satcher knows, but right. uh, the gay community in the United States doesn't exactly have the reverence for Ronald the Stooge Reagan, uh, the, the so-called defeater of capitalism, which is a complete load of nonsense also. But the fact that while we're going through the AIDS epidemic in this country, four years into it, Reagan hadn't said the word yet. Mm -hmm. He hadn't said AIDS. He had not said HIV. And the fact that a president was so non-responsive to a crisis in this country because it involved a subset population that he maybe didn't approve of or maybe his voting base didn't approve of, um, I think it's extremely understandable that they think he has blood on his hands over that. Mm -hmm. And that's what was, was depicted there. Well, and actually what was depicted there that I understood from that work session comments of Satcher's is that he was really upset about the, the, red eyes. the blocked out and the red eyes. If you look at that display board, that image is not an image that the creators of that display made on their own because right. they wanted to depict Reagan that way. It is a historical image from an activist group yes. at the time who was trying to bring attention to the issue. Yes. And falling and so on were, deaf ears and of, so the, they, of the president of the United States. So let me ask you this. I, I, not you. <laughs> I guess I, this is my question for Satcher. If somebody in this county, if, if the Manatee Moms for Liberty wanted to make their own historical timeline display of conservative politics in the United States. And they put together equally display boards like they have there. And now, mind you, this is supposed to be historical, factual points in time of relevance to the movement or the change of things, not like opinion stuff. Uh, not just like disinformation you caught somewhere, but like actual provable things. And at some point in one of those grids, they used one of the pictures that we also saw, saw so much, you know, as kind of the ri during the rise of the Tea Party, uh, you know, with a lot of the dissatisfaction and, and, you know, justified or not, whatever, toward um, Barack Obama, President Barack Obama. And there were a lot of images out there that were made by various activist groups and were publicly, you know, seen in, you know, protests and online and whatever of him with a Hitler mustache. And so if somebody who is presenting this angle of like, and at this period of time, in, in this decade of time, you know, the Tea Party began to, and they created this image. 
would he have the, would he find that as equally offensive? Would that have gotten his undies in a wad to the point where he felt like he had to publicly basically do like a a damn witch hanging of our librarians in a public meeting? I mean, and I think that's what made me the the most angry about all of it was the complete and utter disregard and unprofessionalism towards the professionals that have worked for this county. Did you catch that moment where Vanessa Ball was asking the question, you know, who curates, who comes up mm-hmm. with the books and things like this? And Tammy, I don't know her last name. Tammy, do you know her, the last name? The librarian, man, manager of librarians. I just remember them calling her Tammy by her first name. But anyways, um, she answered the question by saying, you know, it is mainly myself and my like second in command or whatever. And then she, she offers in there, you know, and it's her and I personally right now curating the content for the Lakewood Ranch Library. Yes. And then you hear Vanessa Ball go, Oh boy. Something no, she says, Oh great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh great. What in the hell is wrong with you? I mean, I'm sorry. That is so. I just couldn't believe it. I could not. So let, let's get it. into the meat of the complaints there, which were driven largely by Amanda Ballard um, talking about. I did a search and I found this many books on this, but this many books on that, uh, and feeling that it wasn't like a balanced approach. And first of all, the idea that you'd cultivate a collection based on ideological parody, parity, not parody, although most of this is parody. Uh, sounds like parody, um, is nonsensical because that's not the way literature works. There are, there's not a balance in books that are created. I hate to break it to you, but statistically, conservatives don't read as much as liberals do. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Uh, it was emblematic when you heard our, our, you know, our bright chair, uh, it's about as bright as the chair I'm sitting on, talking about how I don't go to libraries, none of my friends go to libraries. I, I, almost as if he was proud of that. And then you wonder why it's not reflected in the catalog. Maybe there's not as much, first of all, of that kind of writing in existence. He, he, we have Ayn Rand though, right? There's Ayn Rand, which is always held up by conservatives as, as like, you know, this is our, this is our I, don't, I don't know, Nietzsche or whatever. But if you've ever read Ayn Rand, I've read... Uh, a couple of the books I read, Fountainhead, and I read um, uh, Atlas Shrugged in high school. And then I read it again years later to see if I missed anything. I didn't. It's drivel. And, and I don't mean that from an ideological standpoint. I mean, it's really bad writing. That's one thing that's agreed on, like, across the board. Ayn Rand was a horrible, horrible writer from a technical storytelling standpoint. Um, it's awful. And then on top of it, she was also a amphetamine addict who believed in polygamy and all this other stuff. So that... Now, of course, because most of these people don't read and that's where you'd learn this stuff, they don't know that. So they don't know that they're, you know, holding this person up uh, that is antithetical to, you know, uh, the the whole idea of, of conservatism, but a rabid anti-communist because she came from an Eastern European uh, 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 country. She'd experienced it. And so she was always capitalism, capitalist, capitalism, and that's all they hear. So they, they routinely get embarrassed by this, this you know, disconnect between their, their, their idols and their ideology. Um, but the demand for what's in the library, and that's the other part where it's like, hey, 
you know we can request this stuff. You know that you there's a process and the catalog is reflecting demand. Mm-hmm. It's not reflecting what it's reflecting what's out there first of all and there may be a whole lot more available inventory that would seem toward the left to, to, to some people than there is to the right. So it may be very difficult to put that together. And then if you do, it smacks of the one thing that conservatives are supposedly against, which is a quality of outcome. So if there's not, like, let's look, for example, there, there's also, they'll say the same thing about Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood pushes all liberal kind of stuff. There are some conservative filmmakers. They just make awful films. For, for the most part, like if you just look at it, in, in, it's not to say that, look, Mel Gibson's conservative. Okay, he's made some great films and maybe he's you know one of the exceptions that proves the rule. But when you look at like Left Behind series and stuff, like like there's just some really, really, or, or uh, God is Real, those they're really bad movies. I'm not saying like this, the, the, the idea of them or whatever. It's just, they're poorly executed. Like it's just, so if you wanted to say, well, we have to have as many movies that, that people are available to watch from both sides of an ideological spectrum, that might be, that smacks of, to me, creating equality of outcome. Because then we gotta have a whole bunch of really crappy movies to <laughs> try to balance out, because one, there's just a lot more liberal filmmakers, period. So there's gonna be a lot more liberal films, period. And the vast majority of what is considered in, 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 the, in the field to be good film tends toward that majority. You can't prescribe equality of outcome and then t- say that you're about the free market of ideas. Make better books. Make better films. Make your case with your product and then have the people coming in and asking, hey man, why don't we have this one? Why don't we have this one? And they'll get it. It's mm-hmm. not a case of, nope, nope, we don't let conservative stuff in here. It's just exactly. that you don't have as many conservatives coming into the library and you don't have as much content that would be in a library being created by the conservatives. And and my understanding from what was explained in that meeting is regularly what is on the shelves and available there is cold for not what it's about or whether it leans left or right or progressive or conservative or whatever. It's cold for is it taking up space that something more popular, like you said, demand could so if they could could take that space. So let's say there is a specific book written by some author about Obama and a specific book written by Rush Limbaugh. And neither book is being read by anybody. Nobody ever asks for either one of these books. They don't get checked out, they're sitting there collecting dust. When they go through and look at that record, it might be like, hey, we should move these on to another location because they're wasting freaking space here and nobody's interested in these in this community or, you know, what have you. Um, so, yeah, the, the demand part of that story is relevant, you know? And I also have to point out that <laughs> a number of them, uh, Ballard's was was the best because they started talking about religious books being there. And then she said, what about books about Catholicism? And my head just wanted to spin. I was like, you're really going to bring up Catholicism of all things? And again, it's so ironic to hear the party of, we're really worried about drag queens and groomers. True. If you want to keep your kids, let's say, sexually safe, I'm not sure you'd want to 
that might not be the bell you'd want to ring. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you, you know. There's, and, there's and, so much there, and I'll just leave it alone. But the reality is. Right. That, that's rich with irony. Right. Rich with irony. The, the other thing I found, I guess, ironic was the how much concern there was in multiple different commissioners questioned this, or it was questioned more than once by the same commissioner <laughs> at moments, concerning what is the security in terms of can a kid get into a section <laughs> that they shouldn't get into? Like, do we have, like, bodyguards? You know, like, I don't know what the hell. Which the, the library manager was great at one point when she's just like, okay, first of all, we don't carry that kind of material. Like, might there be books with mature themes? But it's not like the library is a place to go read Penthouse, folks. Right. Like, come on. But anyhow, the fact that it had to be repeated at least three times in that discussion, that the library is divided into sections, tells me that a good chunk of those commissioners outside of Van Austin Bridge, who admits he's never set foot in a library, have never set foot in a library. So if... If, you are, if it is genuine that you are seriously concerned about, get your ass down there to a library and learn something about it. And then also, when you call in the professionals on the subject matter, don't tell them they're raging liberals working for a gay agenda and oh, completely okay. discredit right, can, can everything. About, can we talk about that real quick? Because I, I've just got to say, and this is free advice to men out there. Free advice. This obsession about all these things that might turn people gay, oh <laughs> it's not a good look, man. It's not a good look. When you go around yelling and screaming about all the things that might turn people gay, it really, really, really powerfully suggests to most people who are comfortable in their sexuality that maybe you're not. <laughs> that maybe you think that... that uh, sexuality is so fluid and that you're so close to maybe jumping that line yourself that you're just worried about any trigger that could set yeah, you Yeah, I, I mean, this idea, different... this idea that children or adults are going to see a library display or check out, I don't care if they're reading a book a day. The fact is we are attracted to and what we are attracted to. And, 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 you know, it's amazing that you have to have that kind, make that sort of a statement. Any gay person will tell you in that, 2023, that a book had nothing to do with it, right? Right, in 2023. <laughs> or the idea that if I had just checked out the right books at the library, I'd be married to a woman right now. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's insanity. It's gayness or homosexuality or uh, bisexuality or any of the spectrum in between and including all of that is not contagious. It's not. I've heard that interview so many times where somebody that was gay would be asked, did you always know that you were different or some other kind of nonsensical question that they really even silly to ask, but I've never once heard the answer be, well, you know, I read this book. Right. <laughs> and I saw this display. Or, or my best friend was doing it, so I, it seemed right. like a great idea. Yeah. I mean, again, it's frustrating. And, you know, and this, this brings me to another point of one of the moments in that work session where I wanted to just find the nearest wall 
and bounce my skull off of it. Commissioner Satcher kept repeating and bringing up this. There was a literal book in that display. Jay's gay agenda. And it literally said gay agenda. It used the word agenda. Okay, first of all, James Satcher might be one of the most paranoid people I think I have ever met. Particularly when it comes to what makes people gay. Uh, And... Well, and there's other things. I mean, just the whole liberal agenda. Like, he's really, really bought into this idea that there is this boogeyman coming for him or his country or his religion or, I mean, he, he's hook, line, sinker. Anyhow, I decided while watching that meeting, I'm like, okay, I've never heard of this book. Curious. Look it up. I've looked it up as well. Read the description. Real basically, quick, real, folks, took, took about 11 seconds. Right? Basically, folks, the premise is it's, it's a high school junior in a small town. He's the only one that he knows of in this small town who is openly gay. Um, he's watching all of his peers go through, like, you know, coming-of-age things, prom and dating and first kiss and whatever. And, you know, he's beginning to feel a little lonely and wondering if he's ever going to have the opportunity to experience the same things as he's watching unfolding around him. And so he begins journaling his thoughts and begins making a list of all the things that he hopes someday he'll get to experience as someone of gay life. Orientation, right. Or orientation, right. And he then titles it His Gay Agenda. And I think it's a tongue-in-cheek, because again, when, when you say, there you literally saying it, it's a right-wing boogeyman word. It, mm-hmm. It's something from Fox News and Newsmax. It's not something that... The left came up with well, and I will it say it is what I, the right it is what the right coined as a this is what they have they have this gay agenda, and so it probably was a tongue in cheek way of using a double entendre um, to say okay that's a silly nonsensical term so I'm going to flip it into something that's relevant to my story. I, I didn't look at the publish the publishing date of that story, mm-hmm. so I don't know when it was written. It was, wasn't even something I thought about, but but what stood out to me about it was. I know that based on James Satcher's comments in that meeting and various other times about leftist agendas and now the gay agenda, I think what he believes is that the idea, I'm not sure if the agenda he thinks is an agenda to make everybody else gay. Uh, That's the way it comes off, but go ahead. Right, that is how it comes (laughs) off. Or if he believes that the agenda, which is not much better, that the agenda is to make everyone be accepting of okay, people who are different. So let's talk about that. Because where the term comes from, actually, it's more than a decade that I've heard it. And where I first heard it applied was Hollywood's gay agenda. And <laughs> the idea with this theory was that it was to tell kids and everything this is okay and this is an option type thing. And that, you know, they, they hope to make more people gay this way. This is, this is the, the, the witch hunt part of it. Listen, folks, there is a gay agenda. And the gay agenda is to show the world that there's nothing wrong with people who are in a minority feeling seen and represented and having their stories told and having their stories told in the mainstream way and being not, hey, everything has to be this, but this is something that exists. This th- These people have always been here. These people have, for the vast majority of modern time, had to be or feel at least 
unrepresented and unseen and, and, and persecuted and pers- for that reason mm-hmm. and and have for generations and including people alive today not be able to tell their stories or depict themselves in an honest way for fear of those same things and a, and a general unacceptance. So there is an agenda to say, hey, um, maybe when we tell stories, not everybody has to look like the majority of people and have the the uh, most common experience. So not everybody has to be basically a white suburban heterosexual, you know, uh, family person. Uh, and this has gone on forever, and it's gone on from the point where it was it was taboo to show divorced people in in film and, and literature and everything because oh I don't know the whole thing with divorce and uh, minorities uh, interracial interracial relationships. relationships or minorities that weren't being depicted in a negative stereotype um, help people feel seen when you hear stories. Of people talking about, you know, I remember one of my African-American friends in the military talking about how odd it felt that they loved wrestling and they were only ever rooting for white wrestlers because the only black wrestlers at the time were ones that would come out and lose every match. And uh, he was telling a story about, there used to be this wrestler when I was a kid. I remember I saw him at a, at a live event uh, when I was little. His name was Special Delivery Jones, S.D. Jones. And he was this, you know, muscular black guy that would come out and uh, get the crowd all hyped up. And he'd almost win every time, but then the white guy would beat him. And that was like the only guy that was on every weekend um, at that time in the, like, I guess, late 1970s uh, that was African-American. And I remember him saying, you know, it, we were always rooting for the white guys because they always won. And it was kind of like I've heard, you know, Native Americans, indigenous people talking about how they were always rooting for the cowboys in the movies you know, even though their ancestry is the opposite of that because that's the story that was told. They were the good guys with the white hats and, you know, they were taming the savages. And so we we have this history of storytelling in the United States being dominated by the Western European male white dominant experience and understanding and hearing how I just took that for granted that the good guys looked like me and the people I rooted for looked like me. Uh, hearing people say, I never saw my story represented. Mm-hmm. I never saw, and, and then we went through, you know, an era where it was very rare to see, you know, an African-American male character on TV where he wasn't a drug dealer or a gang member or a criminal, uh, how overrepresented they were in these in these other roles and how, how rare it was to see a doctor or a lawyer, even though they've been out there. Um, not seeing those stories told or only seeing them told in quote unquote urban categories where it was like, well, we'll make a movie where everybody's black or we'll make a show where everybody's black and it'll be for the black people. But if you're going to watch the mainstream stuff, it's going to look like the majority of people. Uh, Yes. So there has been an agenda and that's what inclusivity means. And the conservatives will tell you in that conversation well, we don't want quotas. We don't want affirmative action. We can't have equality of outcome. And I agree with that. I agree that equality of outcome is a bad idea. It's one of the things hurting uh, academia and some, and particularly in some fields. Um, equality of outcome is a bad idea. We should have a free competition of ideas. And if you do have the mindset of, well, we're all going to end in the same place or else it's somehow unfair, I don't think you get to the best place that way. But 
they want to have it both ways on some of these issues. So when you talk about, well, I'm a free speech absolutist and, uh, okay, yes, I, I have a real problem with things like, you know, the Biden administration having uh, kicked the, the, the uh, doors on the idea of, hey, like this ministry of truth type thing that we might need a government organization that uh, polices misinformation. Uh-uh, I have no interest in that. I don't want the state, because that's a slippery slope if there ever was one. I don't want the state telling us we're going to determine because we've seen that already. We've learned recently about you know the the um, some of our security agencies and the way they tried to put their thumb on their scales with large social media platforms uh, under the uh, regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story and so forth. Um, that's a bad idea. I don't ever want the state determining what the truth is. That's Orwellian. And I agree with conservatives when they say that, but then as soon as they start doing things like, well, oh, yeah, we love Elon Musk. He's a free speech absolutist. He's going to save Twitter. And then what's he get caught doing? Ramping up his own tweets. They're not getting shared enough. They're getting, he has, I don't know, 100 million followers or something like that. And he's using the platform now to, oh, well, this is important. So again, slippery slope. And now you have a Republican administration in Florida that is pushing the idea of restricting free speech in so many different areas, the one I'm talking about in my column this week, a law that would actually make it easier to sue for defamation and make it very difficult for news outlets to use sources while protecting their identities. Because we gotta go after the leakers. Where, where, we're either free speech people or we're not. We can't, and we're either economy of ideas. And if you don't like this idea, defeat it with a better idea that you argue against it. We're either those kind of, that kind of state or else we're a totalitarian state in which we're going to cede the power of ideas to a centralized location and trust it'll be our guys running it. I don't want it because I don't want Democrats or Republicans deciding what's real news and what's not. I don't want them deciding who should be able to be in the town square and who shouldn't. And I certainly don't want them saying we have to have exact parity in libraries of every ideological spec. I don't want anything driven by that. I'm a free speech person. And these other people that are claiming to be, well, then you need to be for that too. And if you don't like an idea, write more books, make better movies. You, ha you clearly, there's clearly a Christian agenda. Clearly. They're very out front about it. Mm, yeah, well, I think that there's people who would tell you that this is a Christian nation, that this was found. Oh, yeah, we heard that from Commissioner Ball. Mm -hmm. And again, it just shows that she should visit a library and read more books <laughs> because we were not founded as a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. we, we were founded as a, a nation in which you couldn't be persecuted for your religious beliefs, mm -hmm. but that is a protection against religion every bit as much as it is a protection for. Mm -hmm. Because there was people leaving a country in which an official national church had tremendous power over day to day, the influence of day-to-day -day life. So I don't know uh, what you were referencing there with the Biden administration and uh, what did you they call that? They floated, so the, the, the name that, that it got, the nickname in the press uh, was Ministry of Truth, which it was literally what it was called in George Orwell's 1984. They mm -hmm. had a Ministry of Truth that decided 
you know, whether something was true or not, and it changed constantly. Mm-hmm. And that was the joke. The one guy's job was to throw things down the hole that would make them disappear forever and edit pictures and mm-hmm. do all kinds of stuff. So I don't, I haven't, obviously, I don't just don't have So yes, the, the Biden administration in the early phases um, talked about having a government department that would police misinformation mm-hmm. on the internet. Right, and I and I see the problem with that or, or the concern about that, definitely. Um I, I can't, again, speak because I've not looked into research. I'm just taking you at your word on this. On the other hand of that, though, I will say we have a significant problem right now with people who do not know what research is. They do not know how I do to my own research crowd <laughs> that. Well, and here's the thing. I'm in full support of people doing their own research. Right. But. When, when, but you've got to you've got to know how to research. Right. You've got to understand what research my, is. My point is that the person that says I do my own research, usually not a whole lot of smart things follow that statement. Because yeah, their own research too many times is based on what other people of the same mindset has told them. They read it in some blog post. They found it in a YouTube video or a meme that they just shared. You know, or they they are seeking out confirmation bias and and they are not even looking at nor considering anything that even challenges remotely the thing that they wanted to set out to prove um and so it it is in in some in in many instances i don't think that it's that nefarious that people are intentionally doing any of that i think that some people believe they're getting real information and they believe they just don't know how to research they don't know how to vet their sources they don't so in that sense my point being there is a real problem with disinformation we are sitting ducks for propaganda of all measure all of us um so i I do think there's a legitimate problem there and to go back to this work session um you know this is where I think it was it was the the work session or the meeting prior to this week's work session where the topic came up the first time about the libraries and it was pulled off and that's when they decided to set this future work session to talk about this and in that meeting I remember Commissioner Satcher had his phone and he's like God I'm just now seeing this article and it's telling me that the uh, National Association of Libraries is definitely a leftist organization, and I've got some real concerns about what I'm seeing. Okay, wait a minute. You're just, like, what are you looking at? In real time on your phone. Right. And and, and I want to know. I found something that supports what I already want to believe. And how much time was spent yeah. between that moment and when he showed up to the work session to then declare that it is, it is a known fact. Like, known by who? And how do you know? And I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is other than, as we've said before, if people could just get themselves back on topic of the issues that actually impact the citizens of Manatee County, that would be great. That would help us avoid all this other nonsense. And let you said, what, what are you smiling about? Well, over you there? sent me this and it just keeps coming to my head during this conversation. Um, so this was either a tweet or on Facebook with Commissioner Ballard. 
Uh, oh, yeah. So somebody po- somebody posts, can I get an amen outside some athletic club and family fitness? And the, the sign says, I, I'm taking it, this was in South Carolina. Dear Lord Jesus, please curse evil Marxist Democrats. Let's say rhinos and any supporters. And Amanda Ballard, uh, our county commissioner, comments, love it. I grew up in upstate North Car- or South, upstate South Carolina. This is on brand with a big heart eye emoji. So is this the brand of Christianity that we want? Do we want our children to be taught that uh, Christianity is about Jesus cursing the people? First of all, I'm not a Christian, nor am I a, a socialist. Um, I, I, I have no affinity for, for either organization. However, I will say this. I've read the Bible cover to cover more than once, and I'll be darned if Jesus wasn't a socialist. There's no other way you could take it. There was nothing capitalistic about the guy that turned over the lending tables. There was nothing capitalistic about the guy who told everybody to give away all their possessions. Right, Um, down to your last penny. Yeah. Uh, It was a really, I never understood like that. The one thing that makes me just like, it just tickles me, is like that Joel Olstein, what do they call it, prosperity gospel where Jesus wants you to be filthy rich. Um, <laughs> pray for money. All, all these, it's, it's just hilarious because it's like, you're, did you even read the book? Like, or did you just get the cliff notes? Like where are we, or did you, are you just listening to the guy on Sunday? Well, like there's source material here, folks. Um, but the other part is I don't, I don't like the idea of, you know, teaching our kids about a God that we can appeal to, to curse people with a different ideological uh, mm-hmm. understanding to curse them. Um, well, and she goes on, it, there's some back and forth, um, a thread that I saw. I'm not sure if it's on her page or somebody else's page or, or where that was, but she does go on to explain at some point or to clarify that she wasn't meaning that she was in support of what the messaging was on the board in that image, that she was simply saying it reminded her of home because it was on brand for the type of people she grew up with and the things that they would have joked about, like the type of humor, if you will. Again, let's let's bring this back around again to the whole, who gets to decide what my child, your child, James Satcher's child, who's ever child, should or should not have access to? Or what adults should or should not have access to in terms of information? And and what is evil information and what is holy information? Who gets to be the judge of that? Different men? I mean, because everybody's not always going to agree on that. And so if we're going to have this, you know, let me read this to you really quick. This will help clarify a point I'm about to make. There is, an, there is an emailed response that Commissioner Satcher made back in um, like mid-November time to the group who's advocating to get rid of that display board. And I don't think we've said it. That display board, yeah, we did, that it was LGBTQ historical and it was placed there because the month of October is recognized in the United States and Canada as LGBTQ history month. It is a thing, folks. Like 16 plus more other countries recognize it and and celebrate it or or what would be the word? I don't know if you what the word would be celebrate it, but um acknowledge it. Acknowledge it, right. Um so this was his this was his response here. 
Got to get my glasses on. Thank you for your help fighting against the left's determination to indoctrinate our children with inappropriate content. Elementary students should be learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I have had enough of the left using tax dollars to groom children behind the backs of their parents. James Satcher. Okay, well, guess what, Commissioner Satcher? This is America. You don't get to tell me what my elementary school children should or should not be learning. Wasn't that the whole thing at the peak of the pandemic? Yes, yes I was going to bring up that point. Parent choice. Parents know best. But when it's something that they disagree with, then parents don't know so good anymore and we got to step in and get control of this situation. That's an interesting question, which I brought up a lot in the last few years. Um, For example, uh, my child got vaccinated. I did not opt to do any boosters or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I would not have gotten him vaccinated had it not been required and had we known more later. Um, I was not okay with the idea that his college and a lot of other things through life were making it extremely difficult to operate and live without getting a booster. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, and, and what, my, what my reasoning for that was, one, we had understood by that time that for an extremely healthy 17-year-old male, the idea that he was going to have complications with COVID were the statistically extremely low. We also became aware that the myocarditis issue with mm-hmm. males in that age group were problematic. And I made the decision at that point that not only had he been, and now what we also know, but we weren't allowed to say back then because it was misinformation, was natural earned immunity, let's call it, earned immunity from having the disease is more robust than any of the vaccines or boosters. That's been now determined and it's mainstream accepted. Hmm. So the idea that he had had COVID already and had been vaccinated, at that point, I was far more comfortable allowing him to use whatever immunity was there or get COVID again because the next time he got it, it was almost nothing. Mm-hmm. much more comfortable than saying let's just do it because they want us to do it because I'm looking at it and I'm saying I'm really more concerned that he's going to get myocarditis than I am that he's going to have a complication of COVID at this point. Again, mm-hmm. the myocarditis is very rare but it was more common in his statistical application than it would have been to have a complication with COVID. So my question was and it, remain, it remains on all these things because the other thing I'm going to tie this together and you can have, you can have the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, my question was <laughs> What is at the heart of this is whose child is it? Mm -hmm. Is it my child Mm -hmm. or is it the state's? Now, I understand there's going to be some overlap when it comes to things that are abusive, um, that that the state is always going to take an interest in the right of a child that can't defend his own, make his own choices, do do his own right. There, there, There has to be overlap. But at the core issue of it is whose child is it mine or the state's and when it gets in to the trans issue 
even when I disagree with some things, I have serious concerns about starting medical intervention on a minor. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but I have to default on that same thing of whose child is it? That child's parents or is it the state's? And at what point does that overlap come in and become prohibitive? And it seems to me that on both far sides, there's some real hypocrisy there. There's some real hypocrisy because you do have people that say, well, I want, you know, that should be up to the parent. Any parent should be able to have their kid get a medical intervention as young as they, you know, if they want to do it at six, they should be able to do it at six. Um, But they're also the same one saying, but I want to force your child, in many cases, I I would say the majority fall in that same uh, category of, I want to force your child to get a vaccine. On the right, you have the, you should never be able to do the, the one, but then you should never be able to do the other either. So there is a lot of hypocrisy in on both sides of which one is it? Is it the state's child or is it yours? And I, I, I think we have to be more open against the ideological, well, my side believes this on this issue and this on this issue and get to the core of, okay, well, there's a contradiction then. Okay, well... Man, there's so much there on that. First of all, let me just say, you and I have talked about before, and I think on the podcast and certainly personally amongst us about our different understandings on information and statistics and on those things about around vaccines and risks and benefits and all of this. And I know that you and I disagree on some of the conclusions we've come to based on what we've looked into. I will also say I'm anything but a damn expert on vaccines. I'm anything but an expert on COVID. Um, I do know that the idea of mandatory vaccinations is not a new thing, okay? It didn't just happen with COVID. There's a lot of stuff that unless you get an exemption, your kids, for the sake of the wellness of the whole community, and and it has helped eradicate some disease for the most part. Uh, It bears noting though, and this might sound like a technicality people, but it's not. It bears noting that the vast majority of what we're calling vaccines are not vaccines in a definitional sense. They're gene therapy. Vaccines for COVID or yes. in general or? Like the Pfizer vaccine isn't really a vaccine, it's gene therapy. Again, I, I, I'm not an expert, so I'm not gonna debate this with it's you. It's an but... experimental gene therapy that we don't have any long, now have we used mRNA technology for several years before this? It's relatively new, but do we have a basis in it? Sure. But this particular gene therapy is experimental by na- by definition. And I'm not saying that you... It's it's not... A, it, it's been around and in use and experimented with for treatments of... mRNA ke- has, yes. Right, right. Okay. This particular gene therapy for COVID-19 is experimental by definition because we... we Russian in, in, well, and every, every damn vaccine that's ever been made at the point that it started going into arms was a experiment not nearly to the same degree and medications and again no not nearly the same degree there were far more trials if you remember operation warp speed we gave uh uh these emergency use um approvals that exempted them from going through the trials of those other medications everything mm-hmm. have to go through so that we had a better idea that may and again experimental is not necessarily a pejorative people say oh you i'm not your guinea pig and what i'm saying is definitionally the way that we did this mm-hmm. it was different. yes mm-hmm. so it was experimental to use that mrna gene therapy for covid19 
we weren't allowed to say it that way. And I, I do feel very strongly that the state decided that we were going to limit conversation about it. And we were going to push a certain narrative and we were going to say, if you disagree with this, you should be penalized. You should be removed from platforms. You should be considered disinformation. And we now know, this is beyond dispute at this point, there are many things we now know to be true that were considered disinformation relatively recently and could have gotten you kicked out of the public square. And I think that's problematic. And I think the idea that you also had an immense amount of profiteering happening at the same time, it raises a big red flag. Right. I, I, I think we're getting way in the weeds on this, but... Uh... I'm just saying that, listen, my point is, is that... I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not saying you're right or you're wrong or otherwise. I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. I, I have, my point I have, is, I have done my own my research. My point is only, <laughs> my point is only that we did not have an open and fair debate about it. We did right. limit conversation. We did penalize certain positions, and okay. some of them have been proven to be valid now. And, and included in that, there was also a huge flood of patently false fear-mongering Absolutely. information. Absolutely. So the state may act, acted as if it made the decision to say, we're just going to shut down that conversation so that we don't, uh, they would always hold up the quote-unquote anti-vaxxers and say there's this friend. And yes, is there a fringe batshit crazy group of anti-vaxxers that believe all kinds of nonsensical stuff? 5G and Ab alien DNA and I mean, come on. Absolutely. But again, it's very, very easy and we do that a lot. Or society. that the vaccine gives you COVID. That again, was a real common one and that wasn't even terribly fringy. That was pretty, or, or that if you got the vaccine and you were in proximity to somebody who didn't get the vaccine, you could then give that person COVID. I mean, there's some pretty out Again, there stuff. I'm, but, but I'm decidedly not talking about that. Right. I'm talking about, and there were also thousands of scientists and experts that were silenced, and many more of them that have come forward since and said, yes, I've had these same concerns, but it, there was not an environment, there was not yeah. space in it's, the conversation it, to have. Again, I think it's a really complex issue to reflect upon and, and... Right, so my point is, though, I'm always, I am consistently against the state making the decisions on debate and what is okay to debate and what's mm -hmm. not okay to debate. I am against it in the library. I'm against it with the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm against it with the vaccine the same way I'm against it with the uh, uh, choice on, well, on- And and let me clarify this too. Intervention. If I was a policymaker and I had to decide whether or not, for example, right now, beginning of next school year, uh, the COVID vaccine, we're going, any number of them, uh, was going to be a mandatory requirement of your kid in order to attend public school. I would probably vote not in support of that because of every, everything that's come to pass around it. It's just a given that we're at a point where on this thing, everybody's going to have to decide for themselves and should be allowed to decide for their children. Um, I knew during the pandemic some children of high school age who knew of other children getting very sick within their high school or teachers um, who wanted to get the vaccine and their parents would not allow them to do it. Um, and that was very troubling for them and made, you know, so parents aren't always right, just like customers aren't always right. Nobody's always right. Right, no, I agree with you 100%. My, my point is 
we need to get out of these ideological conversations mm-hmm. and have more philosophical ones. Mm-hmm. And that needs to start with the conversation of whose child is it, mm-hmm. mine or the state's? And again, we've always accepted some overlap. So there's always been, look, you can't, your kid shows up to the hospital with a broken arm because right. you were disciplining them. The state is going to intervene. And we've always been like, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we all agree that, you know, uh, your child's getting sexually abused. Your child's getting, th- there is, and that's the thing. Nothing is, rarely are things just purely black and white. Right. And we can come down the middle. Mm-hmm. There's always going to have to be nuance in Particularly, the more important something gets, the more nuanced the conversation has to become. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like the more important it becomes, the less nuanced the conversation around it gets. Mm-hmm. And we purely go into ide- ideological mode. And my point is that if we start with that, we have to carry it over. So it can't be, well, I think it's my kid when it's this, this, and this. But then I think it's the state's kids when it's this, this, and this. Um and they're all kind of equal, but it has more to do with what I believe ideologically. That's where I have the problem, is the inconsistency with it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see so much of. I, and I'm making the point about the vaccines and the national part so that people see this is not me just picking on Republicans, which I get accused of all the time. By the way, as I pointed out in my column last week, I have lived in a, in a community that has been uh, uh, ruled by a completely Republican majority the whole time I've been in Florida and in a state for more than two decades, the whole time I've been here, it's been, it's, it has, I have been critiquing policy that is only created by Republicans locally at the state level. And we do way more of that than we do national stuff. So of course, if I'm being critical of it, there's gonna be more opportunity to be critical of Republicans than there is of Democrats. But my point is, I'm pointing out that yes, this exists in both places. And both, and in both instances, Democrats and Republicans seem to want to have their cake and eat it too on these different issues. So yes, I think you could show hypocrisy in the Democrats in saying, we believe it's different, your kid or not, on the trans issue and on the COVID issue. And I think there's some hypocrisy there. And I'm pointing out that there's just as much hypocrisy with Republicans in, we think it's our kid on the opposite of those two issues. And the library is just another one of no now now this we have to intervene with the marketplace and protect your kid in this space it's not the parents job to decide so the fundamental debate is being lost is my point mm-hmm. and on every issue it becomes ideological instead mm-hmm. and i don't think there's any profit in that yeah yes things that should not be politicized are getting ruined with politics yes health issues uh literacy education these are not partisan things. They shouldn't be, right? You know, and, and I guess that was the argument from the position of Commissioner Satcher and Bearden and Ballard and Ron and Vanessa Baugh in that meeting was, well, but it is being politicized because everything seems to lean left and where's the, the right representation? And, and that's my point to and equal we, outcome, and which we, they're supposedly against. Right, and we opened, you know, the beginning of explaining possible cause for that um and so again I, I i'm not trying to argue i hope that nothing that i have said has come across as though i'm saying i believe that everybody should be forced to get their kid a covid vaccine that i don't believe that uh i do believe they're helpful i'll say my own my own children have been vaccinated and nobody's had any issues i will also say when it comes to very unscientific but sometimes we learn what we learn 
through life experience. And I will say that now we are, what, three years thick into this health thing, crisis, epidemic, pandemic. I don't personally, I know well over 100 people personally who have received the vaccination. I don't know of anybody who was hospitalized, bedridden, or ended up with some sort of severe outcome because they got the vaccine. I just don't know anybody. I do know people who have gotten COVID and been hospitalized or died when they should not have. Like younger than me, non-smokers, not overweight, like they should not, they should still be alive. But I have no idea why those people, and I also know people right now, maybe about a dozen if I tried to name the specific ones, who have had COVID once or twice and believe that they now have lasting issues that they think was brought on by having had COVID. So, I mean, I also got to work from a place from that. And the, and the one other thing I wanted to say, and this goes for my own self too. I'm not, you know, trying to put this on to you or to anybody else. It, it, this is an all-inclusive accounts for everybody. Seems like we've all been stuck in a place where we've gotten really confused about what a fact is. Mm-hmm. And then also the idea that all opinions are equal. And I don't think that that's true. And again, if something, if the librarian who has a PhD and has devoted her whole life, a master's, PhD, her whole life to literacy, is in her educated opinion is in contrast to somebody who does not have a degree, only recently started researching for themselves how the library system works and maybe has only set foot in a library five times in their entire life. Their two opinions on a question or an answer or a theory concerning literacy in libraries is unlikely to be equal. That's not to say this person over here or that either question or idea, what you're getting at in terms of philosophical discussion, bringing it up, you know, having the conversation should be banned. But I think that there is an important point of what professionalism is, like what knowledge is, what experience is, what wisdom is. That that relates to that. To be clear, our disagreement's not nearly as profound as, as you say. I got my kid vaccinated. Oh, yeah. Uh, I d- opted against getting him boosted. Mm-hmm. And again... He got COVID. He had had COVID previously, right? Mm-hmm. Before he was... None vac- of mine vac- to my knowledge. Right, before vaccines were available. But mm-hmm. even beyond that, it's a very different situation because I had a 17-year-old male. Mm-hmm. You have two females. Mm-hmm. The incident rate, the only real concerned rate was for teenage males for the myocarditis. Into 20s. And it was predominantly, yes, into early 20s. Mm -hmm. It was predominantly 17 to 19. He was 17 and then 18. Also brought him into the conversation, he adamantly did not want to get boosted because he felt the same way. Mm -hmm. He was way more scared of getting myocarditis after himself reading the case studies Mm -hmm. and then saying, I feel better about having a COVID again than having to get this this heart condition. Mm -hmm. And... At the time, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It's one of the premier children's hospitals in the world. Um, 
the vaccine coordinator from CHOP, whose job, certainly not an anti-vaxxer, his job is to promote vaccination. Mm-hmm. And he promoted the vaccine for COVID. But then when asked, he did say, yes, I have two sons in their 20s. I opted not to get them boosted because of the concern over myocarditis. Mm-hmm. That was, again, so it wasn't tailored research or confirmation bias. It was, wow, here's a guy that knows far more about vaccines right, than I right. ever could if I started today and mm-hmm. did nothing else about. I trust him. I'm familiar with that hospital. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, and he's citing the same concerns that I have from the same data that I've been exposed to. So he is confirming the concerns that I had. So I have an expert here saying, yep, that, that's how I feel too. And that that was enough then for me to say, and son, you you, you agree? Because if he would have said, hey, dad, I'm scared I don't want to get vaccinated. I, he's real close to 18 at that point. And then he mm-hmm. became 18. And then he opted at 18 not to get the booster mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but I was upset by the fact that they made his life really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't scientific to say, well, we're not even going to consider earned immunity. We don't know if that works. Well, we don't know if the vaccine actually works. And then if you come back back and you hear, boy, I don't know if you caught this one, but just a little while ago, uh, Bill Gates had this flippant answer in, a, in an interview where he basically said, yeah, it turns out, you know, the vaccines didn't work very well and they weren't very robust and uh, wasn't very broad protection and didn't last very long at all. Uh, he was- Bill Gates? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, wait, wait, wait. I thought we don't trust Bill Gates. Isn't Bill Gates a bad guy? Well, I, I don't trust him very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he happened to make a 10 times, 10 factor uh, return on his investment in uh, the partner company of Pfizer. And at that time, and he, he had cashed that out when he said they didn't work very well. And then for a long time, he was calling them a miracle. So when you see stuff like that, and you see this only one narrative. And the other thing that I thought... In fairness to anybody listening, I don't have any idea what he's talking about. So I'm neither here to, okay. to support or oppose anything that Mitch but is saying right see, now because I don't know. When you see stuff like that, and then you see that this was the most profitable drug in the history of the world. And then when you... I, I'm very disappointed that the government had zero, zero communication to the American people about health and wellness. There was never any, you know... It really, 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 there's, and in fact, now we understand why obesity was, was it wasn't just that that was a, a additional factor. We understand the science of how the virus was able to uh, uh, perpetuate itself mm-hmm, better mm-hmm. within fat cells and all these different things in replication. Um, so obesity was a problem. And guess what? Like it became a meme that everybody, hold on, everybody was fat, getting fat at home you know, during COVID and talking about, you know, cooking and all the things they're doing. And we, we knew that it was obesity and smoking. And there was never a communication to the government saying, hey, you know what we all got to do right now for our fellow Americans? We've got to keep the hospital beds as open as we can. We got to stay healthy. We, there was never a communication that, you know what else? We're finding a huge correlation with vitamin D deficiency and COVID. Mm-hmm. And we really need everyone to make sure they're getting their blood work done, their blood panels every year. Don't skip your physical this year and make sure you pay a particular account to that. Well, that was, I, I, hold was, on, hold on. I was hearing a narrative about don't uh, skip your doctor's okay. appointments. Don't skip your doctor appointment, fine. Mm-hmm. But a thousand fold more you were hearing, get the jab over, stay healthy, mm-hmm. don't get obese. Mm-hmm. Great time for a smoking cessation program. Any mm-hmm. of those things were not being talked about at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they're very effective when they've been talked about at other times in life. But I, I do get your point, and I'm not arguing uh, against that. I, by, by no regard do I think 
that everything was handled the way it should have been or gone the best case scenario. And again, it's, right. it's been all of it has and been again, a shit And again, what I'm show. trying to do is give validity to some of the concerns that conservatives have have said and saying, yes, you were right about some of those things. You might have been right for the wrong reason or, you know, following some quackery to get there, but there is some definite after action review mm-hmm. in which we can say, yeah, th- there was some, there was some uh, not great policymaking and oh, for sure. And I, at time and maybe for bad reasons. And what I'm trying to say is that now you also have to be self-reflective and be able to say, and maybe our side's doing that in some of these issues right. too. Right. That's my point is mm-hmm. that, that away from the ideology, yes, it happens on both times. 100%. But so on this issue, is it your child or is it the state's? Mm-hmm. Is the information, should the government, should we create more layers of government right. to come in and police free speech and thoughts and ideas? Or should we let everybody bring their thoughts and ideas to the town square and the marketplace for ideas and let the best ideas win? I don't think any society has ever prospered by the, the process of saying, hey, what we really want to do here is limit the amount of things you can talk about. Uh, there's something that, that's very North Korea and Russia or really even Soviet-esque about that. Yeah, I've seen this um, floating around here and there from some proponents of limiting certain books or books, books on certain topics and this kind of thing. And it says, a person can decide they want a certain book. A person can decide they want their children to read that book. A person has no inherent right to have the state provide those books to them for free. Look, folks, a public library... I mean, I suppose maybe that's why they'd like to see them all go away. I guess it's a socialist construct. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I don't want a book in the library that, I don't know, makes Hitler look like he was a good man or that I think um, tells a different version of the Civil War. I don't get to say those things can't be there because I don't agree with them unless I'm going to say, that's it, no books. And <laughs> nobody can have any books then. I mean, it is just preposterous. Oh, I, I have to note also that if anybody heard the book called out, uh, Howard Zinn's A People History of the United States, uh, I believe it was the, the great reader, Van Austinbridge, um, phenomenal book. And what it actually does, it's, it's enlightening because it tells American history not through the sides of the winners. And it tells like, for example, the Native American story through letters. It's mostly all letters and journals. And it is the journals of actual persecuted Native Americans and the journals of actual slaves and the journals and letter communications of people who have gone through the civil rights movement, all of these different things, but not told through the state's lens, not told through the, the lens of the winners, mm-hmm. as you will, but told through those who experience the worst part of it. So when people say, oh, that's an alternative history. No, it's an alternative way to present history, to say. <laughs> well, this, and this actually brings me to a, a point I was hoping to get to make and, and get back around to this. Particularly in children, let's say, um, up through teens, because of what my background is in education and experience mostly in the workforce, I think that probably one of the most important benefits to books for kids 
is the growth of empathy. And that is because books allow us to learn about perspectives and experiences of real people, fake people, real possibilities, not real possibilities, and we get attached to the characters and we read these books. And let's just say Jay's Gay Agenda could very well be there's a perfectly, um, you know, it could very well be that there is a straight child in James's perfectly imagined, perfect family, Christian, evangelical, whatever, who would read that book and maybe they wouldn't understand Jay. They couldn't totally relate to Jay's situation or maybe they could, right? And that can give them access and a perspective and an empathy on others toward themselves. It is an important part of why access to information and storytelling is so important. It lends experience. Again, where you see... Where you see some of the biggest pockets of racism and bigotry is in places that are very homogenous. Like you go to a place that's extremely white, you often see a lot of racism. And it seems weird because it's like, you're, where is this problem for you? Like you're not experiencing it. Uh, And the reason... And this is one of the things I learned from the military is that that when you just throw a bunch of people together from a lot of different backgrounds, the first thing you learn is, oh, wow, we have so much more in common than we have different. And what you're saying with the, the access to that information is that what books allow us to do is it extends that perspective and experience when you can't always experience it. You might not have known somebody who was of any right. of those different, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it was. I remember how much I, I learned ab- about uh, Middle Eastern culture by reading, you know, Kite Runner and the other, in that series from that author. Um, often it's a way to extend experiences beyond what our own personal life allows us. Right. And and I want to clarify because I feel like I said that really not in the best way as I was speaking off the cuff. My point about saying somebody, you know, a, a specific child that Commissioner Satcher would presumably think is perfect, so therefore they would have no use for right, such a right. book. It, that was the point I was trying yeah, to make, yeah. is that anybody can get usefulness from any book. Sure. Not to say they're going to be forced to read it. No. They also have the ability to be like, eh, I'm not really interested in that I book. would challenge James Satcher to read it if he's not afraid. <laughs> that I don't know. I read some of the reviews. I'm not terribly inspired to read it, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, and I don't think it's geared at adults, frankly. Okay. Um, but it, Well, that might be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sixth grade reading level, Mike. Well, well, and you know, the grade level fits. <laughs> um, to what you were talking about, perspective. It's not even always necessarily about, uh, you know, the empathy or the experience of learning, you know, from other potential people who are different from you. But also, it's just experience you could never have. Like, I will probably never be in the situation where my arm is stuck between a boulder and a canyon wall. Right, that's my point. Exactly. Right, but. I can kind of live through that and and spend that time in my own head contemplating what would I do? What would I be feeling? What, you know, these these are valuable things to do with our brains. Um the other point I wanted to make on the uh the empathy part of this and now I think I've kind of lost it. Um was look, look at how much honest war memoirs have done for understanding 
what someone experiences when they're forced into that situation and having empathy for veterans when they return. Um, that same thing that I think they would be very supportive of right? Uh, because it's a subset that they deal with. But here's, here's the reality. We're all in this together. So learning empathy for people that even if you don't agree with and whatever their, their orientation or lifestyle, whatever thing you get down to with it, learning empathy is always a good thing. And having some better understanding of who somebody is and the experiences they've gone through is critically important to growth as a human or, being. Or, I mean, I don't know. Just the fact that we are all human beings who are imperfect. What I, what I'm pretty sure most of these people who claim all this faith stuff is supposed to already accept and know. But maybe I'm wrong. The point that I was had lost track of a moment ago was to your end about um, perspective, and you and you spoke earlier about your boxer friend or military friend, friend yeah. um, and you know part of this. And, and, and look, I get it that what we're seeing, the theater we're seeing in the commission is kind of this like ripple echo thing um, after quake of. You know, they're following the lead of, of some of the rhetoric coming out of Ron DeSantis, which, frankly, I don't agree with. And again, for the record, like you've said, I haven't always had a problem with Ron DeSantis. I have a real problem with some of the stuff that's been going on lately. It makes me very uncomfortable in terms of constitutionality, what really is freedom, what is democracy really supposed to be, you know, foundationally built upon. It gives me big pause about a lot of things. But the idea that Guns and Jesus. The idea that there should be no conversations or lessons about anything that has anything to do with race. Like racism would not exist if people would just stop bringing it up. I have, um, you know, the the fortune of having met a, a very diverse friend group over time, um, which is fantastic. And because I really like to talk... And most of my friends put up with the fact that I like to talk. They let me, you know, ask a lot of questions. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about a lot of issues that are issues that I probably will never entirely understand, certainly. I know that just, again, speaking kind of like of what I was saying, it's unscientific, but my personal experience, I know when I was about 17 years old, I went into a some sort of drugstore, Walgreens, something like this, with two of my girlfriends, who both happened to be black. We were teenagers. I think, I can't remember what the heck we were in there for. I think we were baking, so I think we were like going for saran wrap or something. And we were wandering and being teenage girls and looking at all the things and giggling and being goofballs. And the one clerk that was noticeably in there kept following us around. And my two girlfriends, Shonda and Latasha, are like kind of whispering to each other. And I can tell that like by their, I can't hear what they're saying, but I can tell by their tone that like something's up, like they're like bitching about something. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, we'll tell you afterwards. I didn't get what was happening there. They knew because they had experienced it many times. And at one point, my girlfriend, Latasha, finally turned, well, what happened was, is the clerk ends up, she's following us to every friggin', and she gets to the end of one aisle and she, I think she said finally, can I help you find something? And Latasha said something to the effect of, I have my purse, we have money, we know what we're here for. And, and I actually think she might have been like, never mind, and then was mad. And so I don't think we actually ended up purchasing anything. Anyhow, it wasn't until I got into the car that they brought me up to speed on what the heck was going on in that scenario. 
I was clueless. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I had never been profiled as a thief. When, and I had been into many stores with white friends. So I find it hard to believe that, you know, we can just simply ignore or say it's not real or that experiences aren't different in this country based on who we love, what we look like, where we come from, our economics. We're all lying. Anybody who wants to tell themselves that, you're lying to yourself. I know that we all would hope this country had gotten to that point and that's what America was supposed to be about, but we're not there yet. The work's not done. And to close a door on that now and begin filling that void with some really hateful rhetoric and groups and individuals who would just presumably purge those people from the experience at all, rather than hear about what their experience is, is alarming to me there's as an American. There's something very 1950s and 1960s-esque about this. There's a lot of the rhetoric that's actually being pulled right from that time into this. And this whole idea of just shut up about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and again, I think what was really revealed in the last few years is how far we are from probably where a lot of us thought we were. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will acknowledge that, that I, I thought as a society we were way better than this. Mm -hmm. I thought that we had progressed far more and what i think the reality is ironically is that it was more of a matter of everybody just shutting up about it but then it just festering over all the wounds until the point where they're infected and then you have this eruption of long withheld emotion and conversation mm -hmm. that is very uncomfortable so now you have a lot of people that that or on the easier side of it saying, well, let's go back to just shutting up again. And then you have some other people saying, hey, yeah, but we're on the short end of that stick. And now that we're talking about it, we want to talk this all the way out. Mm -hmm. And there's got to be a national conversation that doesn't just revolve around political talking points and ideological nonsense that is back-engineered from where we want to, to to arrive to what we prescribe as the the you know road the, the pathway to get there, and I don't think that we're even in a place where that conversation is possible at this point. I think that what we're having now is a lot of conversation in echo chambers. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people are having a lot of conversation in their own spaces, mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot of you know preaching to the choir, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. in that. The, the the real conversations that are happening are happening among people that agree. And we're in a place where people that disagree are not even able, they don't, there's not even common language. I mean, in, in certain subset circles of these groups, you're an arch enemy. Yeah. If, if you, if you don't agree. To, right. I mean, or yeah. Or if you even talk to or associate or agree with one point of something right. on some right. other I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. You're one it's of the rhinos then, right? Super dangerous. Super dangerous, I think, in terms of, the, again, the health 
of democracy. And again, <laughs> I can't stress this enough. It exists on both sides. Mm-hmm. Absolutely exists on both sides. There are absolutely places on the right where if you bring up race, it is just, you know, that, that, that's the trouble. We have, you know, if you don't talk about it, it goes away. And there are places on the left where if you say, well, hey, you know, can we talk about this particular issue? No, that's hateful or it's phobic or, mm-hmm. or you're canceled. Um, so now you have this part where it's like, not only can I not talk about it, I have to espouse the talking points of my cult or else I'm cast out into the nowhere. And I guess the nowhere has to become the biggest place. I get. I guess we have to have more people saying, you know what, anybody who tells me, and I'm of this mindset with, with people on either side, well, you, you just can't say that, or we can't talk about that. We can't, you, you can't raise that point or ask that question. It's hateful to, to, to literally ask, you know, hey, I have concerns about this. Does anybody share them? And can we have dialogue about the potential consequence? Uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, get away, get away. I don't have any use for, for any of those groups because at that point it's like, look, I'm not joining a cult on, on either side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm for the competition of free thought and the ideas that it produces, uh, but you can't be about that just some of the time. Well, and I, I will say I feel like that I have learned the more people I've met, particularly more people I've met that are engaged in or interested in politics. I, I, I will, on a, like a, an upside of this, there are a lot more people who have been lifelong and very um, dedicated to the idea of I am a conservative and I am a lifelong Republican and vice versa on the other side. Uh, I'm Democrat, lifelong liberal. I believe in all these. There are a lot more people kind of more in that middle area when some of these issues, when people are willing to talk about them, you know, in small groups, mm-hmm. um, I find there's actually a lot of commonality. So it's going to be interesting to, to see how this kind of this war on the idea that we can't tell gay stories, we can't tell black stories, at least not certain ones. You know, we're, we're not going to. We're not going to worry so much about, you know, we don't need to talk about inclusion or equity because we already checked that off the list. That's a done conversation. Uh, I don't know how long or how far, and I'm hopeful that hopefully not very far. I'm hopeful that the vast majority of Americans, no matter what their political ideologies, uh, will be able to come around to some basic, like, you know, how would I feel if I was in that group? Um, this is probably not okay for to you know light the torch and get the pitchfork and go ham, you know. Uh, so I'm hopeful that maybe we will save ourselves. <laughs> but right now, some stuff's looking. We need a scary. national family meeting. Yeah, All right, we'll right. Wrap it up there. Uh, this has been the Bradenton Times podcast. As always, join us Sunday for the Sunday edition, Wednesday for the midweek update, and Friday for the weekender. And if you can hit that subscribe button and give that voluntary $7 a month, it would help us so much in continuing to bring you fact-based news and analysis without an agenda.